Hey yo! Welcome back to the pertinent podcast, The Wire. It's your host here, Thomas Merritt. We are on Old Cases, Season 1, Episode 4. The epigraph is a thin line between heaven and here, which is said by the best snitch of all time, Bubbles. So, we'll go ahead and start off on the episode, and we'll get back to uh, the epigraph that Bubbles talks about and what that means. So we start off on episode four. We got the the death scene down in the dungeon in their office. And you could just see Lester's face. He's sitting over there working on his little miniature furniture that he's got. And you could just see it. He, he is over there cracking himself up inside it's just looking at him and he's like what are these idiots doing so you would think that with a piece of furniture that someone is trying to move in or out either way who do you think has the most expertise on furniture well obviously it'd be Lester maybe it's on a smaller scale but I think I would definitely talk to Lester especially since he's sitting there so the thing is is that you have a situation where you got hurt that's messing with this desk and it just shows you lack of communication it shows you the lack of the correct teamwork yeah, people were willing to pitch in. Daniels came in. He's telling Carver to go on the other side so he can help. But Daniels should have took over that situation and said, hey, what are we trying to do? That's one of the questions that nobody asked. And that's one of the problems with that scene is Lester knew what was going on and didn't say anything because he's trying to let them sort of figure it out. But he could have stepped up and handled it. But he wanted to see what was going to happen. And it, it was good TV for us. So a lot of times when you have people that are coming together. And you know they have the four different stages when you have a team. And they're still in the forming stage. So we see again the brilliance of the filming where you have a look at CCTV. It's uh, been in one of one of the episodes. In the previous episodes, you've you've seen an example of that. And so we have that again along with uh, what I discussed in the last podcast is the match cuts so in this one the match cut that we're talking about is Bodie is up at the boys village in Maryland and he's got the mop bucket 
and once he gets out the door they show in the mop bucket water and then the next cut you see is Herc's coffee so the mop bucket water is sort of brownish just like the coffee is so I, I've always liked it they've done that you'll see that you've seen it a couple times and then of course you're gonna see it in the future but I really enjoy that So then we talk about uh, Bubbles is describing who Omar is to Kima. He calls him Omar the Terror. And then we get into the situation of No Heart Anthony. And <laughs> Kima doesn't know who No Heart Anthony is. It also shows a scene where uh, Omar is sitting on the stoop with Brandon. And you have sort of a situation to where he's looked at as uh, the Robin Hood of the show where he's giving back to certain people that are in need. And so that, that's something just to remember for later on too. Because as we know, Omar robs drug dealers. So that's a, a pretty tough business in itself there. And to last as long as he has. So <laughs> Bubba says uh, to Kima about not knowing who No Hard Anthony is. He, he's ashamed to be her snitch. And so, of course... <laughs> Kima thinking that well is McNulty gonna know this and of course when she asks McNutty says oh no hard Anthony you mean Anthony Little 1058 Argyle apartment 16J and Buzz is like my man <laughs> So, Kima, of course, is embarrassed and uh, lets the guys know. <laughs> so, when we go back and look at the scene where he is riding with McNutty and goes over to the soccer field. And, of course, that area of town in Baltimore is... 180 degree different from where he's at West Baltimore and so on the way back you know he drops him off and Bubs has the line the epigraph at the beginning of the show it's a thin line between heaven and here and so to me I, I, I felt that as someone that grew up with not a lot growing up poor uh, food stamps government cheese uh, things that I could relate to sleeping in a car sleeping at my mom's job because we didn't have nowhere else to stay uh, things like that you look at and you say okay that was then and now you're middle class and you just see the difference between the two. In fact, it kind of reminds me 
uh, the situation that's going to come up uh, later on. And, and we'll get to that in the next episode when D'Angelo uh, goes out to the restaurant. But it's the socioeconomic status of that thin line. Because even though McNutty as a cop doesn't make that much money, you see the area where his son is going to play soccer at. And then being back in West Baltimore, it's it's a totally different world. So it's a great epigraph to put that thin line between heaven and here. And, you know, they pan away and you see McNutty. He's just sitting there realizing he's like, man. So, yeah, I like that part. And then also on that that socioeconomic status, you have Bubs, who's black, and McNutty, who's white. And there's, especially in America, there's that, that line. And, you know, we're trying to get it to where it's not a line between there to where it's the same. And it's getting harder and harder every day for that to happen. So then we go back into the pit and uh, Bodie gets back from escaping from the boys' village and uh, D'Angelo is explaining about the Deidre Crescent murder. And I just find it interesting that you look at Bodie's face there and you can tell that Bodie is not buying it at all and there's been previous stuff that D'Angelo said that that Bodie just knows that he ain't really in the game he's basically there just because of who his uncle is So then we come back to that look that Kima gave Lester uh, back on the previous episode once he got that poster at Avon. And then they're having the meeting down there in the office and Lieutenant Daniels is asking if anybody's got any numbers and Lester says hey I got this number when we did the raid and he verified it and checked it and so now McNutty is given that same look that Kima gave previously he's giving that look to Lester and be like hmm is this guy real police? And so then we go to him asking Bunk and say, hey, Bunk, you know about Lester Freeman? He's like, oh, yeah. He calls them natural police. And of course, this is a prereq 
right before, in my opinion, is the second greatest scene in the series of The Wire. And that's the F scene. And many people got different numbers on how many MFs and how many Fs have been given and said by those two during that scene. I know it's at least 32. And if you watched the series at least three to four times or more than that, you have tried to count how many times they've done it. But what makes it so great is you have to think about they're handed a script and saying, hey, Wendell Pierce, here you go. This is what you're going to do. So this is you as bunk. This is how you're going to handle it. And then McNutty. Here you go, McNutty. This is what you're going to do. And it's like what makes the scene brilliant is the way that they go into the the apartment. And then the use of what happens in there of using the MF or the F and, and just the way that it's set up, they're recreating the scene of what happened. And it's just the talented way that they go about it and recreate it. And it's just it's just great TV. Not nothing that you can get on a network, obviously. But to see them go from and I'm gonna tell you, there's there's two stars that are also in that scene that goes unmentioned many a times. And it's the marker that Bunk uses and the tape measure that McNutty uses. I mean, these are two key pieces that are helping them. What'd they say? All the pieces matter? Helping them piece together this scene. And so I just felt like those two items in the scene are undervalued. And so they're going through... They're setting up how Deidre Crescent gets shot. And they finally get... They're starting to go through it. And I know I told you about at least the 32 Fs or or one of the MFs that they use. But there's one of them that's done that has nothing to do with the case itself. And the one is the tape measure actually comes back and hits McNulty in his thumb. So that F that he used there, that that didn't have to do with the scene. So they go outside and then you see McNutty taps the gun on the window three times. It's the same thing as when D'Angelo was describing it to the guys in the pit. Tap, tap, tap. And so like D'Angelo said, you turn that light on. And it's hard to see outside. But then you can see the person inside. And then 
the shot. And of course, they go back and they find the casing. And so now <laughs> they're like, okay, they're starting to piece together and bring this case against Barksdale. closer together by showing how these other murders are occurring. So I found something else, another scene that McNutty takes Lester out to the bar and says, I need to buy you a drink. And of course, Lester says, just one. And so they're talking and of course, Lester explains how he ended up being in the pawn shop for 13 years and four months 13 years and four months and so the thing that I found is something that you will hear later on and it's made fun of but this scene I guess it's not not so much but Lester tells McNutty that he has to go take a tinkle. And so it's not till uh, season maybe latter part of four or five when when that comes back. But it reminds me of when uh, Bunny Colvin is in his job searching interview and a potential employer uh, says the same thing. And so I, I just thought that was pretty interesting. So that pretty much described what I had as far as old cases. Season one, episode four. It's the pertinent podcast. We back in the pit. And so now that we have old cases episode four done, we're about to transition into the pager episode number five and the epigraph for this show is a little slow, a little late. And that's said by Avon Barksdale. So when I hear and see a little slow, a little late. The first thing that popped into my head is later on in the show, Avon's at the spot sitting in the SUV and is trying to get Marlo. little slow a little late that's all I'm gonna say for that we'll get back to that later on but just when I seen it that's the first thing I had thought about so of course with the title of this episode being the pager we're finding out that these pagers have a code Lester seeing it Lieutenant Daniels is explaining it to Prez. And Prez is like, hmm, this is like some spy stuff.
so we're going to find out a little bit later on that there is a code with the pagers and we're going to see who breaks it. So now we transition into the scene where uh, Stringer is talking to D'Angelo in the pit. And one of the things I have to say about Stringer in this scene is that that sweatsuit that he's got on is off the hook. And at the time when I seen it, I wanted one. I never got one. But even now when I see it today, I'm like, man, that thing is fly. So what Strings doing down there that he's explaining to D'Angelo is that he asked D'Angelo what's coming up on Friday. He said, well, you know, it's payday. He said, well, what I want you to do is not pay the little hoppers. And he wants to find out what's going on when they broke. And then whoever is stay eating and not getting paid, Strain wants to know who that is. Well, we already know who that's going to be. Because he a soldier. So we know it's going to be Bodie. So we'll we'll come back to that one and and see who the one that is asking for some handout for some money because they're short. So now they go over to the scene where you have McNutty and IKEA. So for those that don't know what IKEA is, it's one of those places that you can go. He had to get some beds for his sons to come over uh, to spend the night. And so it's some bunk beds. And so Ikea is the place that sells this furniture you got to put together. I don't know if any of y'all have experienced that. Uh, Not specifically Ikea for myself, but anything mechanical like that. I mean, I I hate putting stuff together. I I, I don't have that mechanical mindset. All that stuff. Uh, I know other people like enjoy doing. I don't. I don't enjoy that. So... uh, of course, he's he's got the the drink going on that's trying to help him, but I don't know. He don't look like he's going to put it together. But then, you know, later on in the episode, we see that they're put together. I don't know how that happened. And one of the things I wanted to bring up here is that they're showing a side of police brutality in dealing with Bodhi. And, and remember too that when they had him in the room for the interrogation, you know, he, he says his age, he's 16 years old. And so it's it's interesting that they're beating him down, and not only they beating him down, but he's a minor. And so I said, well, you know, that's part of the game. The game is the game. And uh I just that that part of it I guess we kind of just look over and, and we we shouldn't because uh, that that situation does happen and uh and, and it and it shouldn't 
I also have uh, showed D'Angelo at the a restaurant downtown. And like I had said in the in the last episode, uh, old cases, episode four, that you it makes me think about what Buzz said: the thin line between heaven and here. I feel like D'Angelo at the restaurant is sort of the same way because you have a person that's kind of out of their element, like thinking that the restaurant is heaven, but where you really stay back in West Baltimore. And so it kind of feels like he's he's out of place. And then, you know, here comes the waiter guy, you know, doing the crumbs and then he's letting them know that it's for the crumbs. I mean, I ain't ever seen that before. And I've been to some nice restaurants. And I ain't never seen no crumbs get being picked up like that. I guess that's too high uh, for a restaurant for me to have attended. So I don't know about that. I have seen the cart come by that has the fake stuff on it. I have seen that. And it was funny that D'Angelo grabbed <laughs> grabbed the fake cake and tried to give it to his girl. <laughs> so uh, that part I have seen. But it goes back to that, that thin line. And not only now, but even later on, we'll see that in uh, season five. All right, so here's the funniest part about looking at these pagers from back in the day. I don't know how many of you listening had pagers back in the day, but I had the exact same pager that Avon had. (laughs) Had the little green button on the top. Yeah. All right, we talked about uh, last episode and the previous episodes, the use of the CCTV, the closed circuit television. And again, the same theme is going on. They use that. And and, uh, to me, I like it. I just I like stuff like that. And I was talking about the match cuts and all that. Um, Yeah, I I have to give a tip to uh, the director's. And the producers and the writers on that obliged. So speaking of that word obliged, you know that belongs to Bubs. And so of course he's telling Johnny that he's working with the police. And he was like, What? What you mean you're working with the police? And Johnny doesn't understand that, you know, since he wasn't there, he feels guilty. He feels like it's his fault that Johnny got beat down like that because the man is green and, you know, he's trying to teach him. And so, you know, he's telling Johnny, he's like, nah. He's like, you know, I'm I'm helping him out. And so, uh, you know, later on, Johnny's going to come back and say, man, I, I don't understand why you snitching like that. But, hey, you know, Johnny's like, hey, I got beat down. That's part of the game. He's like, you taught me that. So then we go to Omar. And now Omar and Brandon are talking and Brandon's cussing. And Omar, one of the things that you might not know 
throughout the whole show, the whole series, is that Omar never cusses during the show. And not only that, but in real life, it was it was the same way. So they have the scene where uh, McNutty and Kima think that Omar doesn't know that. <laughs> you know, he's got lookouts everywhere. He's got the little kids. And so they take off and they head to the cemetery. And McNutty and Kima are like, woo, man, maybe we should call for some backup. <laughs> he's like, McNutty says, nah, let's let this play out and see what happens. And so they pull up, and of course they got their guns out, and Omar's like, well, if y'all was going to do something, y'all would have done it by now. And of course, uh, Kima checks out the van, and they come back, and trying to get information on Omar, they try and, you know, get him, catch him with that gun so he could talk a little bit, but uh, he, he gave him a little something when he told him about bird and the working man and so McNutty says what he's like what you know don't try to play me and uh, Omar says well he's like he's like Kima you can talk to uh, to y'all snitch he's like bubs know about bird and so Omar sitting there telling him, not not only do I know that y'all are watching me, but I know who y'all snitch is. And so I just thought that the intelligence uh, of Omar, that they're not just dealing with some, you're not dealing with Anthony Little, no heart. You're dealing with all heart, big heart, Omar, the terror. And of course, if you come at the king, you best not miss. All right, so now we go back to the dungeon, the office, whatever you want to call it, that's downstairs. And Prez asks McNutty and Kima if they got a text. And he was like, yeah, we got a text. And he was like, well... Did you call it back? And they was like, Kima's like, yeah, I called it back twice. Said it wasn't working. He's like, oh, well, if you'd have known the code, you would have been able to call it back. So this is where Prez finally steps up besides shooting the wall. And breaks it down a little bit on the code and says it's as easy as jumping over the five and one of the interesting things that he says he's like these little yos out here don't know math to that level so they had to have something easy for their code and so that's that's interesting to note for later on for what Prez does with the math and then next we go on to to Avon 
And Avon's trying to show D'Angelo that everything is about family because family is blood. And this is interesting to see the mindset of Avon, especially what happens later on. And he's trying to teach D'Angelo family, family, family. One of the other things that stood out to me, of course, is the, and I guess it's from, because it's from 2002, is the Verizon payphones. I mean, I, I remember seeing those. I remember using payphones. Some of y'all ha- may not have seen payphones ever before. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting uh, situation uh, using those payphones. In fact, I'm pretty sure they could probably put that on uh, on YouTube. Like you see the the kids with the dial-up telephone, they don't know how to use that. So the payphone be a, a, like a similar situation. But they end with uh, the last scene is uh, Brandon Omar's boy that's playing a pinball machine, and Wallace and Poop see him in there. And they call D'Angelo. Of course, D'Angelo hits up String. Uh, String sets it up to where they're gonna come by, and then they get they get Brandon. So that's pretty much all I have for the Pager episode five. And you can see now where they're starting to get these these phone numbers that are coming in. They're breaking the code. So now they're starting to gather more information. They're starting to piece together the murders. And uh, one of the things I want to make sure I let y'all know is uh, this Friday, I may have a special guest. I've uh, coordinated. And so I'm looking forward to this Friday. I'm not going to say the name yet because if they're not able to make it, then I don't have you all hyped up for no reason. So, I'm going to end up with this The Pertinent Podcast. We covered In the Pit here, Old Cases, Episode 4, and The Pager, Episode 5.